Hey everyone, and welcome to Angel Talk. My name is Philip Kerrigan. I am the executive director of Raise for Rowan. We are the organization that helps families suffering through the loss of a child with funeral cost assistance and emotional support. We are still momless this week. Bryn is still on vacation, so uh, good luck and stay safe out there, Bryn. Uh, make sure not to shake any hands, hug anybody, stay six feet away from folks. You know, the whole thing that we're getting right now. I don't mean to minimize the issue, of course. I hope everyone else out there is staying safe. I also hope that folks are making sure that they're uh, keeping everything together. I know it's a very trying time right now with work situations and wondering if businesses will be able to to remain open. We are just hoping and praying for everyone out there who is struggling day to day. And uh, we hope that pretty soon we're able to get back out there, get back on our feet. And we will hope to uh, make a comeback as a country and as a society again. This is what we got to do. We have to hunker down, come together, and stay apart. (laughs) And then hopefully come back better than we've ever done. Before we get into everything, I do actually want to shout out to our procurement committee who really went above and beyond trying to get things for this year's dinner and auction. We'll have more information on that as we end the podcast But I want to thank specifically everybody on that procurement committee for coming together, brought in a lot of amazing, uh, amazing items that will be used in one of our many events or promotions this year. It just won't end up being used for the dinner and auction. I want to thank our executive board for uh, holding steadfast and really supporting the operations staff of Race for Rowan. And I want to thank all those donors out there who gave so much to this organization that during these very difficult times, we are still going to be able to provide our services to our angel families. So I just want to thank everybody who's been supportive of Race for Rowan. And I want to let you know that we are here for you. So even if you just need someone to talk to, please reach out to us. Um, we know how tough it is right now, and, and we're praying for everybody, and, and hopefully we can all still get together. For us, the podcasts continue because there are a lot of our families who, frankly, grief continues day-to-day. Economic conditions don't change that. Uh, so what we're doing this week, of course, is it's a part of our Grief and Fatherhood series. We're going to have a series of fathers come on to the podcast, and this week is our very first one. So this week, we interviewed Brad Tower. He is a, a lobbyist from Olympia, Washington, and um, he really he really was incredible to talk to. He, a few years ago, lost his three children in a fire, and he was actually one of the first families that Raise for Rowan ever helped. It was Bryn who actually reached out to him. And so we really thank him for coming on. He was really open about his feelings and, and his relationships since uh, the accident and his life moving forward. It's a phenomenal interview. I want to thank uh, Brad for opening up to uh, to our questions and not being shy about answering any of them. A great, great guy. And uh, we really, really think that those fathers out there who are struggling to, to cope with their feelings, take a listen to this interview and really get a good sense of, of how you can how you can try to move day to day through it all. I'm not going to bore you anymore with any more details. I'm going to go ahead and throw it straight to my interview with Brad. Uh, Here it is. 
All right, so I am here uh, on location for the first time ever. <laughs> uh, here in uh, Brad Tower's office. Uh, that is our guest today. Brad um, is local here to Olympia and um, is one of our angel fathers. Go ahead and introduce yourself to, uh, to people, Brad. Well, thanks for having me on, Philip. Uh, yeah, Brad Tower. I'm a longtime Lacey and Olympia resident. Grew up around here. Graduated from Timberline High School back in 1990 and escaped for a little while to Southern California. But came, nice. Came back and had uh, had family close to the grandparents and spent a number of good years right here in Thurston County. So we are doing a series of podcasts over the next three weeks since uh, our ambitious angel mom is out of the country and, and left me with the run of the place. So I get to pick <laughs> my own subjects. Uh, we're actually doing one on grief and fatherhood. And you are one of our very first guests to come on and kind of uh, talk about this. Um, can you talk a little bit about, without going into to, to great detail about the day overall and, and, and what, what happened, can you talk about your, share your own story of loss for those who, who are listening? Well, yes. Uh, whether I can do so with, without a quiver in my voice, we'll see. It's not a problem. Um, so my, everybody's circumstances are different, of course, and everybody's grief is different. In my situation, I was going through a divorce and had just concluded the divorce proceedings in January of 2016. Um, the fire that took Ben and Maddie and Sam's life was on March 4th of 2016. So things were just starting to settle into a new rhythm. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then the whole world blew up, of course. Right. So it was not a traditional situation where um, we were a solid couple and dealing with the loss of one child or even all of our children. Uh, I was uh, I was in a, a relationship with Kelly, who is now my wife, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. thank goodness for that because without her, um, I'd probably either be dead or in a you know drunk in a gutter in Tijuana. Right, at this point. right, right. But uh, yeah, so my my custody of the children was was limited, and I was at the time still dealing with the grief of my loss of my my direct everyday relationship with the kids. And that was a bit of a struggle. Yeah. That I imagine that's tough on its own. Uh, yeah, I was definitely depressed. I was, I was already grieving at that point. And, and then again, you know, on March 4th, the whole world just blew up. Can you, one of the things that is, is interesting to me is that this is the same thing that happened to Bryn in that, um, there are people that know your circumstances. It was public. It was yes, it was very public. And and for my business, I mean, I am a governmental relations consultant. Uh, I've been doing this for twenty years now. And at the time, you know, it was I, I started the business with my father, so we had a family history in the legislative arena going back to the late eighties. Yeah. And we were right at the tail end of a short session in 2016, and I just, I just dropped off the map. Um, I I sent a couple of texts saying I wasn't coming in to work that day, and several of my friends were very concerned that they thought, oh no, his father passed away. Oh wow! And then when the news came out that it was Ben and Maddie and Sam, then the whole legislative community. Uh, kind of came to a stop for a moment, and they they had a moment of silence and recognition on the Senate floor. Wow! And it was, I mean, it, it was touching. I wasn't present, right? I, right. I was right. pulled up yeah. in the corner, just sucking my thumb and trying to <laughs> trying to figure out how to keep going. <laughs> right. 
But um, yeah, my whole community knew immediately, and of course, it was all over the news. So we had we had a large outpouring of support. Now, again, my the unique or rare circumstances surrounding my experience was that um, my ex-wife just cut off communication. She just, we still haven't talked. That's amazing. Since the fire. And she was down in Lewis County. And so we were putting together memorials uh, and, and just dealing with the, the mechanics of the loss. And we were working through intermediaries. We had our, our yeah. fathers were basically having to be the co-executors uh, of the, the estate for the kids because she was, and I, I, I won't put it all on her. I'm not sure how I would have dealt with her in person, but right to this day, we still haven't talked to each other since the fire. This is a, this is going to sound like a simple and reductive question, but how did you not kill yourself? <laughs> well, I, I would say it's a, it's a valid question because anybody who goes through the loss of a child, if, if if you're out there and you didn't think, okay, I'm not sure I can go on, then I would love to know how how you managed to have such a strong constitution. But um, it occurred to me very quickly that the the joy that I experienced watching my children affect the world in a positive way, that all of that responsibility now landed back on me, and that living and living well and helping other people was the way that I could keep my children present here and still affecting things. I, I, I kind of immediately jumped into a series of plans. I started writing down in a notebook, the different projects, the memorials that I wanted to create. And, you know, we, um, everybody has the, the standard, uh, celebration of life and and then of course you've got a, a monument that you can put up at the at the cemetery mm-hmm. and but I wanted to plant trees I I wanted to write a song I wanted to I had a coin minted in my oldest son's um, memory and then we used that coin with his youth football league to oh cool encourage the kind of behavior that he exemplified right the team leader yeah. and a protector yeah. of other kids um, I I instituted a a reading challenge. My daughter was, uh, she formed her own book club actually at oh, school wow. in second grade. And so she and her friends would check out the same book from the library and then they'd get together after they read it and talk about the things they liked. Oh, that's awesome. And so I instituted a similar reading challenge at, at her school and put the prize, made the prize the, um, the, the thing that they loved the most, which was they had a, a cookie a cookie dough sales drive and the the grand prize if you sold 50 units or whatever it was was a limo ride to mcdonald's and lunch at mcdonald's (laughs) during the school day yeah so how much does a limo ride cost right and so i i instituted that and and we did that several years in a row and i i plan to keep both of those things going uh as long as i'm here and so i i jumped right into in their absence i have to do i have to live my best life right on their behalf and um, and that led to the larger philosophy of death ends a life, not a relationship. And I can't take credit for that quote. That I think is actually Jack Lemmon. And that came from a, a quote book that um, my wife Kelly and I found when we were walking around Palm Springs yeah. uh, after the fire. And uh, what that quote struck me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, they're still here. They're still a part of me. 
And if I continue to live appropriately and do good things, then they're still they're still here doing yeah. good things. Yeah. I think that, that that seems to be a uh, a real constant in the folks that we have talked to that have somehow managed to get through and actually wake up and live day to day. It seems like finding um, finding meaning or f- not really not necessarily meaning, but finding uh, a way to memorialize every day is a big deal. Yeah, finding purpose. I, yeah. I will say the other the other factor that was in my favor was I hadn't been. I hadn't been drinking for four years. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, you know, my job is a social one. There's a lot of yep. cocktail hours. And so it was not an easy decision when in 2012 I decided to cut it out. But thank goodness, mm-hmm. because that next morning uh, I was ready to throw it all away. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. And, uh, again, the combination of my having not had a drink for almost four years and my wife being there to protect me or my now wife, my girlfriend at the time being there to protect me from myself yeah, kept me on a level flight path and, uh, and we got through it all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so within that time span, you then also ran into, uh, Bryn, you actually met Bryn and race for Rowan. Can you talk about how you actually came to meet Bryn and, uh, get in contact with race for Rowan? Well, Bryn's kind of like me. She's got a huge community around her, right? She I mean, sure does. Um, uh, what is it? Seven degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon. Well, she, she, Bryn and I were only one degree of separation. We had a, several mutual friends, but the key link there was Chris Hallett. Oh. Um, so Chris and I- Board president Chris Hallett. Yeah. So Chris and I had been to several father-daughter dances together, um, you know, with my daughter Maddie. And then when Maddie and, and his daughter were having uh, ballet lessons, my youngest son Sam and his daughter Lily would- you know, play in the atrium. Oh, cool. So we, we had a pre-existing relationship and, uh, at the time race for Rowan was pretty freshly minted. Bryn had just created, yeah. was just getting off the ground. And so I don't, uh, I don't know what number, uh, angel family we are, but it was, again, it was very early on. In You're the close to the beginning. Close to the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so they reached out and, and said, Hey, we, we want to help. And, in my circumstances, I, I didn't know what I needed at the time. I, I didn't need economic support, but I really appreciated having someone to hold my hand and walk me through. And I just, in my own mind, pledged that whatever economic support I got, I was going to return, you know, tenfold back to the organization over time. And, uh, and so it's been, it's been really beneficial to me to have been invited to stay on and be a part of the advisory board for Raise for Rowan and continue to participate. Yeah. Uh, and I, I am in awe at what Bryn has done. Yeah, as, it's unbelievable. As a monument to her kids. Again, so you know, here I am thinking a coin and trees and a song. <laughs> and Bryn creates this amazing nonprofit no. organization yeah. that goes out and helps all of these other families. Yeah. And uh, I just I love and admire her for that. Yeah. Uh, what were some of the things that maybe she, because I'm sure you guys had conversations throughout, what were some of the things that uh, she said to you or did for you that you still kind of remember to this day? You know what? That's an unfair question because I I don't know that I had any real direct contract contact with, with Bryn in the early days. And Mm. frankly, that whole period is a bit of a crater in my memory. Yeah. There's a, there's a trauma effect that my wife will say, do you remember meeting this person doing these things? No, no, I, I have no memory of it at all. Yeah. 
Um, so I, I apologize. I don't have a good answer to yeah, your question. Yeah, no, that's okay. It also seems to be one of those sort of uh, connective things that, that we see a lot is, especially in those first couple months, it, it seems like it's just a haze. It's almost like a, it's, it's, it's just almost like a blank spot almost. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, the things that I can recall were the Hollywood highlight moments. Um, the fact that the, the date was March 4th and I was, as I was standing in the backyard that night, looking up at the sky and wondering how I was going to continue. And it struck me that it was the only day of the year that was a command to march forth to you know continue living and to do oh wow yeah i mean yeah that yeah. that hit me like a two by four upside the head and we had the memorial service with all of our friends there at evergreen christian school they pulled together an amazing um service for us uh that was on the spring uh solstice or excuse me the spring equinox oh wow so it, yeah it happened on march 22nd so to me those, those celestial coincidences yeah. were yeah. those are the things that i remember but i i don't remember individual conversations Right. Um, well, that's got to be hard. I mean, yeah. yeah. In fact, there's there's probably six months that just disappeared. Don't there. exist. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's unbelievable. All right. So we're actually going to do uh, one of our segments. Uh, I like to call this affectionately Nerd Corner because <laughs> I myself am a nerd. I love books. Well, you're among company. Though. Yeah, that's right. So I I say it lovingly, not to not not to be not to deride anybody. Um, so what this is is basically we have guests come on and make a recommendation of a book that helped them through, or that they would like to sort of offer to the folks who are listening. For them to be able to use themselves as a way to get from point A to point B every single day. So, Brad, do you have a uh, a book recommendation for Nerd Corner? I, I do, and I went through a number of them. People people offered up a number of different suggestions, and I I got books in the mail, and I sought them out myself because I was struggling so hard to try to get this thing out in front of me so that I could understand it. Because if you can't understand it, then you can't deal with it. And I needed to I needed right. to understand it. So the book that that struck a chord with me was C.S. Lewis's A Grief Observed. And even the title, I thought, was very apt because <clears throat> in order to get your hands around something, you have to separate it from yourself. You, I don't think you can do self-observation very well. So you have to get your grief out in front of you so you can observe it, inspect it, and then set up a plan to deal with it. Mm. And his there were a couple parts about A Grief Observed that I found very, very helpful. Now, C.S. Lewis was writing about the loss of his wife. It wasn't about the loss of his children, but mm -hmm. still the notions of every thought is an arrow notched with the person you're missing as the target. And then when you realize they're gone, you have to un you know de decompress the bow and put the arrow back in your quiver, basically. Mm, that was one wow. of those, that that's... was one of the quotations from the book that I'm like, oh, that's exactly how I feel. Yeah. I get up and I have these thoughts about what I want to do and, and, oh, this would be fun. And then you realize that the whole object of your thought is missing from your life and you have to set it back down. Um, the other thing that I really loved about the book was he said, I could write forever, but I am only going to write until I run out of paper in the house. He had a, he had a small wow. notebook and it was like, hey, you know, you can wallow in your grief indefinitely, but I have selected this point. I'm going to fill these pages, and when these pages are gone, I'm going to get back to life, basically. Wow, wow. And so it was his, it was his journey through understanding his own grief and uh, 
Yeah. I, I subsequently gave that book to a couple of other friends who had suffered the loss of their spouses. Uh, fortunately, I haven't had any mm-hmm. other friends who have suffered the loss of their children. Yeah, yeah. But I, I highly recommend that one. That's great. C.S. Lewis, A Grief Observed. All right, so uh, getting back to uh, some of the questions, we talk a little bit about, we're going to talk a little bit about coming out of the incident, sort of um, the subsequent months after that. I know, I know that uh, a lot of the things we hear from a lot of the folks we talk to is that, you know, your first, your first two or three months, basically almost six, are these, are these very sort of hazy, you're in a fog, you're trying to figure things out. It's very, it's very uh, personal, and there's not a lot of, there's not too much interaction. But we had a podcast a couple of, uh, a couple of weeks back called "Grief Griefing in Public." So it's basically like your first like steps out. Can you talk about your first sort of, um, your first sort of going going out in public and kind of how folks interacted with you? when you first got out there and how you interacted, how you found yourself interacting with folks. Well, I felt like I had just survived a major truck accident and yeah. I physically, I didn't have the will to go do the things that I had been doing. I, I was just in survival mode, but because my work is such a social environment and I was I was dreading the idea of piecemeal for the next several years, having people have their first interaction with me be, you know, post, post fire. Yeah. Uh, How, how, how would I, I didn't want to stretch that out. I wanted people, I needed to get it out there and I needed to make people not afraid to talk to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and I wasn't, I guess I'm giving the impression that I was somehow consciously aware of all of this and, and orchestrating things well at the time. It's not true. Kelly was handling a lot of this. Right. But I could see the benefit to having these opportunities for my community to come to me and grieve beyond the celebration of life ceremonies and things that we had set on that are, that are traditional. Just for me, not, you know, not for the kids, but just for me. Yeah. We had to have opportunities for people to come and, and, there were several friends of mine who were during those meetings more distraught than I was. I mean, it was, Mm. we we cried together. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but I remember taking that first walk in public just to get out in the sunshine and to get some fresh air and feeling like I didn't want to see anybody. Yeah. Yeah, uh, because each interaction takes something out of you. You know, you've got this uh, this grief hangover that comes after the day that you've spent going through. And uh, you know, it happens in waves, and it'll continue forever. But when it was fresh, oh my god, every single interaction would put me down for the rest of the day. Yeah, do you found yourself not having as much energy at like at that point? Correct. Yeah, uh, my my next door neighbor runs a CrossFit gym in Olympia, uh, and he said, "Is there you know is there anything I can do?" I said, "I need I don't have the willpower to go exercise, and I know that I if without that I'm gonna go crazy. So yes, please be basically be my trainer yeah. and make me go sweat because I yeah. know I need it, but I just can't 
I can't see the purpose in it, right? Right. You get on the treadmill, and, and this is something I'll jump forward, generally speaking, that has changed in my life since my loss. I don't have the same tolerance for inefficiency and, and the feeling that I'm wasting my time, wasting my life. So treadmills are really tough for me at this <laughs> yeah, point. Because you're just going you're just in one going, motion. Right, you know? <laughs> so I have to know that it's for my overall benefit um, in order to dedicate that time. But, yeah. but sitting and waiting for things is, is tough a struggle. For you. Yeah. It's, a real, it's yeah. really tough. Yeah. yeah. Can we talk uh, – so now we're going to dive into a little bit of the, uh, I think, societal differences or – perceptions of of fathers and and mothers and men and women yeah did you feel right off the bat did you feel a different sort of of maybe pressure to uh be sort of quote unquote the tough one or the rock or or anything like that um internally did you feel that and did you feel that coming from anyone in any way well my circumstances again were different than than most because I was not expected to support my ex whom I, I had had no contact with and who was directly involved in the incident that you know led to the death of the children. So uh, the, the only other people that a, a traditional you know, response to a father who's grieving is kind of so I'm sure you're fine. How is everybody else? Yeah, I, I said that yesterday or this, this last week on the podcast is what the story you told me about how people would come up and be like, how how how's she doing? How, how is she doing? And yeah. and in my case, that that happened very infrequently. But the answer was, I don't know, and and I don't care. Uh, but my my wife Kelly now, she got sort of the husband treatment as the grief counseling uh, or the you know the support group session folks called it. And they're like, oh, I understand. You're you're getting the traditional husband treatment, which is everybody asks you how he's doing. Yeah, yeah. And so nobody gave her the opportunity to explore, you know, the grief that she was experiencing, and and because um, she knew the kids as well. Yes, we were in. Actually, it was that weekend after the fire that we were intending to introduce them in a more formal way. Um, and mm. so what what she lost was the anticipated relationship and going forward because it was part and parcel with me. Yeah. Right. We, we knew we had a connection and we knew that we were going to be in it for the long run. And she was mentally preparing herself to be the stepmom, the stepmother to the the kids. Yeah. And she knew that Maddie was going to, you know, test her and that Sam (laughs) was going to, you know, just all of the challenges that come with kind of introducing those new relationships. And she was very much looking forward to it. And all of that, you know, for her, just that's what she lost and was grieving. Um, and and everybody wanted to just kind of set that aside. But it, it was telling, I thought, that everybody in the the grief, cert, the, the uh, what do you call it? The Compassionate Friends is the group that we went to, that, that they all recognized exactly that treatment. And it was un- it was non-traditional that it was a woman who right, was receiving right, that yeah, treatment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They call it the husband treatment. Today, you have uh, you you're you're married and you have a very beautiful daughter. Why, thank you. Yeah, uh, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about that dynamic? Because we have a lot of families who end up having children, Bryn included, who end up having children after the tragic accident of one of the kids. Can you talk about the the different way you approach? 
maybe parenting today than you did before. Besides being terrified? Right. Uh, like it, yeah. Uh, so the the key with Ben and Maddie and Sam that I think made them such amazing people was that we always gave them the ability to skin their knees. Yeah. And to be to be a parent who's confident that nothing bad's going to ultimately happen, that everything is going to be small and that they're always going to recover and that it's just going to be a lesson learned, you know, to let Sam Sam go and skate, yeah. skateboard at the skateboard park. And yeah, stuff. yeah. Uh, it was a challenge before, and it's still a challenge. It's a much larger challenge to be okay with your child taking risks when you've when you've lost right your family. So that is that is a bit of a struggle. Um, and the other thing, of course, is to try not to smother her. But at this point, at a year and a half, it's okay. We, yeah, you no, know, no. There's going to come a point when right. we're going to have to back off and let her be her own person. But she is, she is beloved by everybody in yeah. her world. Yeah, and uh, you know, from grandparents and cousins and everyone, yeah. they they all know she's at she's that special. age. She should be. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it all plays, you know, it all plays into who she's going to be when she right. grows up. Right. And uh, I think she's going to be in charge of the world, frankly. <laughs> she's already in charge of the house. I know. I know. <laughs> so um, this is a question that I think I'm going to, we're going to ask every single one of the, of the uh, fathers that we have over the next three weeks, recommendations that you have for the fathers out there who are going through something like this. Can you talk a little bit about what you would recommend based on your experiences that is important for them to do and maybe try and get through? Well, the thing that everybody grieves differently and everybody needs different support. I did go to a grief counselor immediately following the fire and that was beneficial in the short run for me because it let me know that what I was experiencing was normal. And I actually had concern because I, I immediately jumped to this, I want to create monuments. I want to, mm -hmm. you know, I want to honor their memory and I want to continue their presence here. And the grief counselor said, that's a stage that usually takes me two years of hard work to get people to. Mm. And, mm. and so in my mind, I mean, I was actually concerned that I was at an inappropriate stage of grieving. Mm because I wasn't reacting in the way I, I wasn't completely collapsing. And it was important for me to have a professional reassure me that no, you're you're doing fine. And this is going, you know, you're at a stage that we recognize and perhaps it's because you were already mourning the loss of your family through the divorce process that you kind of jumped ahead a few squares on the game board to this point. But I, I, I do highly recommend to people, you need to talk to a grief counselor. And they're not all equal. You need to have somebody that you can interact with mm -hmm. and, and know that it is a private, personal conversation. and You can share anything that you're feeling at that point. And then the, the reassurance that we're, you're not expected to do anything that you can't do, mm -hmm. right? That, your your purpose can't exceed your ability yeah. in this yeah. place. Yeah. So uh, I I also got great um, relief and support by going to the the compassionate friends meetings just because I didn't have to explain what I was going right through. right 
you know, everybody there, there kind of ex- was experiencing similar things. Yeah, and and I, I love my community, but there were a number of people that tried to come up and say, hey, I really understand what you're going through because we lost our dog last year. And, <laughs> and, you know, and they just immediately demonstrate that they really have no idea at all what you're going <laughs> right, through. Right, right, right. And, and truly even in losing a spouse or, you know, in other forms of loss and grief, it's it's not the same as losing a child. And I needed to talk to other fathers who had experienced what I experienced because then I could jump forward to the important part of the conversation. I didn't have to establish bona fides or correct them in their misunderstandings about what I was going through. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's two really good pieces of advice, especially for men. This idea of, of talk to somebody, right? Because mm-hmm. I think that that's a hesitation oftentimes, especially for men, this idea of like, well, I don't want to share my emotion. And then <clears throat> on top of that, just uh, be con- be okay with being emotional. Like it's all right to to it's you're going through something profound. It's okay to be emotional. Yeah, and and I've changed permanently, and I wouldn't say it's in a good way. Uh, bef- a lot of men are like me in that their jobs require them to endure a high level of stress, mm-hmm. and we're we're expected to be tough and to perform under pressure. Um, you know, we, we take the most dangerous jobs. We have, yeah, yeah. we're expected to basically endure and to suck it up. And my physical reaction to stress post fire is significantly different than it was really pre fire. Really? Oh, I, yeah, I, I, I get, um, I have a high, a high level of anxiety at this point for stress. I, I have difficulty sleeping. Um, that was another key for me was I needed, I needed my doctor to prescribe me some some sleep aids because if I laid there, the, going to bed and getting up in the morning were the two worst times of the day because oh, wow. my thoughts would entirely focus on the kids and the loss. And anytime I thought about doing something in the morning, my brain would then dismiss it like, what's the point? Wow. So to get a decent night's sleep was extremely difficult. But But yeah, you're your ability to deal with the rest of your world is going to change mm-hmm. in in the waves of grief that come after the loss. And that took me a little while to recognize. And eventually everybody thinks you're going to get back to normal, but you have to incorporate the new you into your world. And if that's work, yeah. family, uh, other responsibilities that you might have in the community, I, I know that I am not the same person that I was you know, four years ago. Mm. Uh, Brad, I really want to thank you for, for, for coming on the podcast, sharing your story. I think that this is really going to help a lot of folks. We'll really appreciate coming on the pod. Oh, thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Thanks, Philip. So that was our interview with the fabulous Brad Tao. What an amazing guy. Brad, you are an inspiration to a lot of people. The fact that you are living day to day with your adversity, um, thank you so much for coming on the show and providing what I think is really necessary and and great stuff for our fathers out there who are struggling with their own grief. Next week, we'll hear from Chuck Cope. You may have heard of him if you're associated with Rays for Rowan. He is the father of Mo- Morgan Cope, who passed away a few years ago. And in her honor, he actually started a scholarship fund, which Raise for Rowan manages. So we're going to actually talk to Chuck next week, Chuck Cope, about how he deals with grief, the life of his daughter, and how he has also found meaning after her, after her passing. 
I did tell you, I promised you that I would talk to you a little bit about the status of the dinner and auction, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. As most of you know, last week we ended up making the very, very tough decision of canceling our April 25th dinner and auction. We held out as long as we could, and there was just absolutely no way we could continue planning the event, especially as the economic conditions became so clear toward the end of the week. So what we decided to do was actually cancel the event and hold online virtual promotions. And then we are in the midst of planning two to three in-person events for later on in the year as the as the picture of coronavirus begins to clear and maybe we can start getting out of our houses and get back to quote-unquote normal life. So we will actually take the dinner and auction and components of the dinner and auction and we're actually going to put it out over three different events that will be available uh, throughout this year. For those of you who have purchased tickets or bought a table and agreed to become a table captain of the dinner and auction, you will actually get first dibs on any of the other three events or other two events that are going to be available to our general mission guests and table sponsors. So that information will be coming out over the next couple weeks, and we will have what's called a ticket transfer window available to uh, those folks starting on April 1st and running through the end of April. You'll be able to give us your name, email, and how many tickets you want to transfer, and you'll be able to transfer free of charge to any of the other couple of events. These events, for those of you who are asking questions, because I know that that's going to happen, these events we feel are are outside of the window of what we're hearing on the ground right now with regards to quarantines and things like that. So they'll be midsummer, late summer, and they'll be later on in the year uh, for, for folks who are concerned about still coming out. So those will be available. We will have an online auction around the time that the dinner and auction was actually going to happen so that we can still show folks that we're here, that we're doing things, and still give folks an opportunity to participate. And we'll be releasing the whole calendar within the next couple of weeks for everybody to be able to take a look at. Once again, I want to thank everybody who has supported Race for Owen uh, in the past. I want to thank the executive board again for try for working really hard since this organization was founded to be responsible with the money that has been given and uh, frankly put us in the position we're in today that we can continue to provide our services to those who need it most. So for those families who are nervous about whether or not we'll be in your lives and whether or not we'll be here remembering your children, we will be here remembering your, your, your angels um, and we will continue to fight the good fight and provide relief to families who uh, are in need of it. I want to thank Brad again, and uh, we will be back next week with an amazing interview with Chuck Cope. Thanks for listening, everybody. Mm-hmm.